Your redeemed are gathered. This is what you commanded us to do. You've always gathered your people around yourself. You've always been in the center of your people. Lord, that's our goal today. You're the center of our singing, our preaching, our fellowship. You're the center of even hard things, health issues, discipline issues. Whatever it may be, Lord, our goal is to keep you in the center of all that we do. So we thank you for a church that has, for many, many years, fought for that supremacy of Christ-centeredness. We pray that you would continue to bless that, draw people to your name. And we ask humbly, Lord, that you would use us. Father, thank you for those who are here, but we also remember those who can't. As Hayward mentioned, there's many going through trials, Lord. There's even those in this room going through trials that have not been shared even. And so, Lord, I pray you would minister through the word to them, through the worship. Cause them to be reminded of those truths we've sang. You are all sufficient. You know all things. You're perfect in all your ways. Thank you, Lord. Father, bless our missionaries around the world. We love them. We're so grateful for them. They are doing things we were not called to do. But we are called to support them. Pray for them. Give. Represent Christ here. Lord, we, we know we have a great role in, in their lives. And so, Lord, help us uh, to do our part. But please protect them, guide them, give them favor where they are, Lord. Now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that your spirit would accompany the teaching of it. And he would plow our hearts, Lord. And good seeds of the word of God would be planted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, I was in a little town called Thane, Wyoming. It's in the beautiful valley called Star Valley, Wyoming. There, a good friend of mine, Pastor Tim, was a pastor in a church, still is, um, Emmanuel Bible Church there. And him and I become really good friends. We both did very similar. We were both uh, working cowboys who pastored a church. And uh, our paths had crossed in many different ways. And uh, he asked me to come to a, a family meeting there, a Bible conference. And so Gene and I and the boys hooked up the RV and we went up there and spent a couple of weeks and did a week-long conference in that area. It was truly a, a delight to be with their church family. During this time, we preached morning and night, had a great family camp, and the final session was Sunday morning back in their church, back in the building there at Emmanuel Bible Church. And uh, it was a large gathering, and lots of people had come, um, not always does a small town like that get a guest speaker in. And, and, um, and so I introduced my family, as I always do when I'm speaking somewhere, and introduced my children. But that morning, I happened to have one son, our oldest son, Colton, was not feeling well. He'd been coughing and hacking. And so we left him in the RV and said, you know, we, he's out there. We're not going to spread any germs. Um, uh, but this is our family. And I went on to preach uh, the Word of God that morning. When I was done, I made my way to the back of the church. And I was back there with Pastor Tim, and we were greeting people, people I'd met throughout the week from the conference, and then there was a lot of other people that were just coming in to hear that sermon or hear the guest speaker. Well, eventually this man made his way up to me, and right in the middle of the crowd, kind of pushed his way in and said, I have a word for you. Man, I knew that was not good. <laughs> I said, you sit over there, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I kindly finished greeting all the people, then I went back to him. And I already knew what he was doing. This man was uh, of the Word of Faith movement. He had a word from God for me, which was not from God. This is what this man went on to say. He said, I have a word from God. I'm not responsible for it. God has just given it to me, and I'm going to give it to you because I have the gift of hearing from God. I said, before 
you say what it is, you're wrong. But go ahead. He said, I'm not responsible. This is what he told me. I'm so grateful Gina wasn't there. I didn't tell her to a while later because we might have had a little ruckus. He said, if you leave this valley, your son will die. Can you believe that? This was his gift. <laughs> See, this is the word of faith movement. This is the charismatic movement in so many ways. The God is speaking up and above the scriptures. They get a word from God. They have a gift. And they seek to exercise that, but they're not responsible for it. I'll never forget, I maybe sternly looked that man straight in the eyes and said, here's what's going to happen. My wife and I are going to get into our truck that's tied to our trailer and put our son in there, and we're going to drive straight out of this valley. And whether our son dies or lives is, has nothing to do with your word. Our God is sovereign. Colton's alive today, married in this church, has my grandson, Hallelujah. Word of Faith movement is closely tied to the prosperity gospel. It is a false gospel. It changes and creates a God, a designer God, to the way they want. It is based in fleshly desires. They may insert natural gifting with it and say that's a gift from God, but natural gifting is not necessarily what the Spirit uses. We need to be careful of that. Prosperity gospel continues to blossom. It is down the street from us. It is all around us. I've been to the deep jungles of Philippines, and it's there. It preys upon the weak. It preys upon the needy by the millions and millions of people, and it comes through this area of spiritual gifts often. Michael Horton wrote a quote that I really appreciated about the prosperity gospel. He said this, it is appropriate that the prosperity gospel be born in hedonism, self-centeredness, get-rich-quick schemes modeled in America's society. We are by nature pagan. Either our religion will transform us or we will transform our religion to suit our sympathies. And that's what's happened. They've transformed the belief of Christianity to fit what they want it to say and what they want to do. Dr. MacArthur says this about the same subject. The greedy materialism of the prosperity gospel has turned the biblical gospel on its head. The true gospel is an offering of salvation for sin and spiritual death. The prosperity gospel ignores those eternal realities, falsely promises to deliver de deliverance from temporary problems like financial poverty, poverty and physical sickness. Jesus, though, called his disciples to abandon all, take up the, their cross and follow him, Luke chapter 9. By contrast, the prosperity gospel offers carnal comforts, earthly riches, worldly success to millions of desperate people who literally buy into it. Whereas the true gospel centers on the glory of God, the prosperity gospel puts man's wants and desires front and center. This was the problem in Corinth. And Paul is going to turn to this, and he's going to begin to deal with these things. I've said this from the pulpit here, and so let me quote me. God may not want you healthy, wealthy, or prosperous. God may want you dead or sick. Scott, how can you say that? John chapter 9. Who sinned? 
this man or his parents? Jesus, no one, so that God may be glorified. Lazarus, if you would have been here, Lord, he would not have died. Jesus clearly teaches that he allowed Lazarus to die so he could be glorified. See, God's ways are always perfect. And they're often not our ways, are they? And yet, when we become very selfish, when gifts around us and to exalt us in some way, there is great room for a false gospel to come in, and this is what was taking place in Corinth. And so these early forms of what we call now the prosperity gospel had already taken root in Corinth. They were desiring to use their gifts separate from the working of the Holy Spirit, separate from true spirituality, and that's what Paul's after in this text this morning. He's after true spirituality. See, they had taken their natural abilities, combined them with their fleshly desires. They thus quenched the work of the Holy Spirit and began to destroy the unity of the church. That's what happens. And that was what's going on in Corinth. They had factions among themselves. They were destroying unity because they were following certain people. They were seeking worldly wisdom. Paul's, Paul was just contemptible to them. Paul says, look, I didn't come with persuasive sweet speech and wisdom. I came with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here we begin to realize that what had been given to them, spirit-inspired, Christ-centered gospel, spirituality, had faded away because of their own desires. Well, as we get to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you do not find a greater past set of chapters, more clear in the Bible on spirituality and the gifting of the Holy Spirit than these. But they come in an interesting way. They are not a manual per se of how to have spiritual gifting. Really, they are, but they aren't. It's a rebuke. And one of the problems that our dear friends caught in many charismatic movements have taken this instruction and not taken it in the context it was set in, but have used it now to push their own agenda. And now we have a massive movement that's worldwide. So I pray that these chapters will challenge us They'll encourage you that God does gift his people, but he gifts them through the Holy Spirit. It's obvious because it exalts Christ, it exalts God the Father, it creates unity within the church, and it doesn't draw people away from Jesus, it draws it to him. I want to look at three thoughts this morning. I'm only going to get through the first three verses, maybe because I'm really setting up what this is going to be like. So don't get nervous, okay? I, I know I, I have a clock up there. First thought, a knowledge and desire for true spirituality. A knowledge and a desire for true spirituality. Look at verse 1 with me. These are the verses that Tom read. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. This term now concerning is something that Paul continues to use. He's responding to a letter, right? Uh, There's a group within the Corinthian church that has written him a letter, and they are asking him questions, right? They've raised a number of questions. We've seen questions on marriage and 
and virgins and food offered to idols. And then last week, we really dove into the subject of, of um, worship. He starts in chapter 11 with gender and how gender brings great worship to God. And then he moved his way into the Lord's table. We saw that the last couple of weeks. He's been answering these things that he says now concerning these are questions. But one of the biggest issues that they had was concerning worship and particularly spiritual gifts. And Paul, I think, puts that all under the worship heading. Though Paul does not give the direct quotation like he's done in other places in this letter, it's obvious that the Corinthians were struggling with their understanding of what true spirituality was and possibly, maybe there's even some writing in this letter that they know there's abuse going on. And they need answers. Now, as you look at this first phrase here, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, you'll notice that the word gift is italicized in your Bible. Um, in, the, in the Greek translation, it's just the adjective spiritual there. And uh, they, they added the word gift, and I know why they did it, because that's the context that's going to flow into the giftedness and the uniqueness of the body to work together uh, to bring about the glory to God. But I really believe what Paul is doing, just at least in these first set of verses, is he's talking about spirituality. And the reason they mishandled the spiritual gifts is they have not been pursuing a Christ-centered, biblical spirituality. They've been pursuing a personal spirituality, right? We hear the term used in the world, don't we? We'll hear people that aren't even saved going to say, that, that person's just really spiritual. What do you mean by that? We know when we think of spiritual, it has to do with the working of the Spirit of God within our life, manifesting the truths of the gospel, living a life, not just saying something, but living a life we know that's a spiritual person that God desires all of us, all who name the name of Christ to be. So I think what Paul's after here is he's after someone who is spiritual. They know who they are in Christ. They know what they believe. It's just not a saying. It's a lifestyle for them. They know the motivation that Christ died for their sins, all of them, once for all. They know they're free from the slavery of sin, and they're committed to living for Jesus Christ. That's what he means by spiritual here. And I think that's what he's after. As we've seen throughout this letter, the Corinthians really had an outward desire for spirituality. Well, we follow this person. We don't do that. Everything seemed to be very outward. They were very concerned about oratorical perfection. They had showed their lack of spirituality in their factions. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Oh, I'm of Christ. We saw that. There's, there's this outward presentation of spirituality, but not an inward heart. And so the apostle saw this as a massive problem and he's devoted many chapters to correcting this so-called wisdom and their speech. And now he turns to this spirituality, chapters 12 through 14. He turns to spirituality that leads to what true gifts come, where true gifts come from. They come from the Spirit, and he knows they're being abused. And he wants to deal with it. Now, I'm impressed once again that Paul uses the term brother. Notice he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. The term gathers into everyone, into a group, right? I like this term. It's male, female. 
It's all those who proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They proclaim that they're in the faith. And, and Paul, he's, you just got to love this guy. He's such a pastor, isn't he? he he's, he's always ready, ready to give believers the benefit of the doubt until they prove themselves different, doesn't he? When, when, the more I study this, I go, wow, Paul, did you, did you know who was in the faith or not? It seems like such a mess, this church. But he says, listen, brother. Listen, brethren, I want to help you. I don't want you to be unaware. See, Paul knew that the Holy Spirit was the giver of gifts. He knew that it was the divine working of God that endows each believer. Everyone in here who's a believer is endowed with a gift from the Spirit. He knows that. We're going to see that as he teaches on these things. And those gifts were for the glory of Christ and for the joy and the good, listen to this, of the local assembly. That's such an important thing we're going to learn as we go through this. Your spiritual gift is for the glory of Christ and the good of this body. And if we don't exercise it, as we'll see, because he's going to make it, it's going to make it very visible to us, his hands, his feet, his nose, his eyes, his ears, all that stuff, we will be handicapped as a church if we don't serve in our gifts. And particularly, this is what he's after, you're serving with the gift the Spirit gave you for God's glory and for the good of the local assembly of believers. Now, when the desire is to exalt self, which was the problem here in Corinth, and the focus is human perfection of some sort, right? Everything's outward. Look at me. Look how I preach. Look how I sing. Look how I do this. Look how I do that. There's a danger that comes with that. And what happens is God's instruction gets marred, right? It gets twisted into some self-gratification. And that's why it's so, we're so careful with ministry, right? Lots of people want to be on the stage. It's just, there's, there's, a, there's a tight grid that, that goes through the process of serving the Lord, particularly when you get put in front of people. It starts with elders, uh, we have an 11-step process, and even then, it's, I mean, we, we need God to help us with it, but it is a process. Even when we take somebody on in ministry, we, we want them to go through our philosophy of ministry. There's a lot of things we want to go through that grid because we don't want them doing it for some kind of self-gratification. We know that won't be good for them. It won't be good for the church. We want God glorified in all things. And we ourselves, as pastors, have to examine that all the time. We have to be quick to examine, why am I preaching? Why do I study? Why am I in this calling? Is this, is this for God's glory? Is it for your own? You have to examine that. People pat you on the back and tell you how great you are. Pretty soon you start believing that. Oh, yeah. That was a pretty, I really did knock that one out of the park. <laughs> Anybody hear a train coming? It's dangerous. We're prone, remember? We're prone to praise, aren't we? We like it. And, and that was going on in this church. Hey, wow, did you hear somebody? They were just speaking in tongues. They're, they're prophesying. He's got a word from God. He saved that boy's life. They didn't leave Star Valley. See, we're prone to those things. Now, it seems that those who are writing the apostle here are, are possibly looking for help. I, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I think there were many in the church who believed they were uniquely gifted, spiritually gifted in some way. They Maybe from tongues to prophecy. We'll see all of that in the next three chapters. 
But the problem was instead of glorifying God, they had created great confusion and there was no longer unity and they knew something was wrong with that. We're not praising God. We actually have more confusion. Paul will say in chapter 14, you have to at least stand in line. Can you do that? That's how bad it was. He has to do a whole chapter on love because they don't know how to love one another with their own gifts. And there's mass confusion. There's no unity and the church is fractured. So in response to this, Paul launches into a true Holy Spirit-inspired answer over the next three chapters on where true spirituality, true gifts come from, and how they are to be used. And this is because the Corinth church was, was, uh, was carnal. That's, I don't know how else to say it. They had bought into carnality. They wanted Jesus, but they wanted to be like the world too. You can't have both. You either take up your cross and follow Christ, or you die with the world. There's one or the other, and Paul knew that. This church struggled, right? We even saw last week they mishandled the table, and Paul says, look, you, you eat and drink judgment to yourself. And you, some of you are weak and sick in, number, in, excuse me, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. Look back at chapter 3, just because you have to realize there's carnality here. You go, Scott, you're pretty hard on these guys. I'm not hard on them. I'm just telling you what the Bible's teaching here. This is what it looks like. Look at chapter 3. I want you to remember this. Because you kind of go along and you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. You think they're doing better, but they're not. This is one solid letter written in response, right? Chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, very generous term there again, could not speak to you as spiritual men. Right? There's a, there's a spirituality problem. You, you want the things of God. You want to be a church. You want to ha- have all this stuff that you've heard and seen happening around the world where the gospel's going forward, but you're not spiritual. In fact, look what he says. But as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Well, that's an interesting term, infants, Right? Infants can be coaxed to do all kinds of things. People prey on infants. They try to get them into their cars. They try to deceive them, right? Christ says, better your millstone be tied around your neck than that, right? And thrown into the sea. He goes on to say, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you're not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. I gave you milk and you still choked on that. You you couldn't get down and understand the simplicity of the gospel to manage your life, to be a Christ-centered person who lives for Christ inwardly first. Verse 3, for you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not fleshly. Are, Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? See, this was the problem. This is what he's dealing with. And so all of a sudden, they start to get into spiritual gifting, right? Hey, do you remember what happened at Pentecost? Peter got up there. He started speaking, and people heard it in their own tongues, and it was way out there, man. If I could only do that. I'm carnal. I love the things of the world, but I sure love to preach the gospel and everybody hear it in their own tongue. Boy, that's not going to work out well, is it? One of the problems with the church had 
for a number of years, I think may still have it in some ways, is missionaries wanted to go to the field and we didn't train them very well. We sent missionaries all over the world. They couldn't even function within our local church. They had a hard time following leadership. They were not very gifted. They had a difficult time and we sent them out in the field because we wanted to get rid of them. <laughs> not us. We don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that. You want to go to the mission field, we're going to work really hard to get you ready for that. And we think you should go. But we sent unspiritual people to carry the greatest spiritual message ever. And it collapsed. I remember driving around southern Philippines and Mindanao with, with Nilo, and I said, Neil, where are all these churches that as I grew up watching all these natives with white shirts on and ties all there and showing pictures of all this? Where is all that? He goes, it's all gone. It was all Americanism tried to come down and they never really successfully preached the gospel. They preached a form of outward living and it all collapsed. And he says there's some that did and, and we, there's evidence of it, but a lot of it's gone. See, true spirituality, we must, we must in a sense battle for it, not to earn it as in works, but we must battle our own flesh. I don't think there's a better passage in Ephesians 5. Look at this. I may not get past verse 1, but we're going to have a good time in verse 1, I promise you. You've got to look at some of these passages we're going to look at. This is just a key passage on true spirituality, the great clear contrast. And I want to show this because it's not only the Corinth church that's dealing with it. Christians struggle with understanding what true spirituality versus carnal or worldly behavior Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitate him. Purest form of praise is imitation or something like that, they said. Verse 2, And walk in love. And here's the greatest example. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering as a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. There's the example. We are to be like Christ. That's all through the scriptures. That's, I mean, that is Christ-centeredness. That's a, that verse should just be tattooed on us. <laughs> I mean, if, if we did that, what would our marriages look like? What would our parenting be like? What our relationship with our neighbors would be like? Oh, my goodness. The, the sweet aroma of the gospel would just, just be all over Volusia County if we could all consistently be a fragrance, an aroma of Jesus Christ. Here's a contrast, verse 3. But immorality and any impurities or greed must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Why is it proper? Well, you know why it's proper? Because Christ died for those things. <laughs> he died for our immorality, our sexual sin, our lust, our greed, our, our impatience. He died for all of those things. It's improper for us to live contrary to the gospel. And we know it's a process. We understand progressive sanctification. That we're growing daily in the image of Christ. And we, and we continually die to things. But it's improper to live, to say, oh, I'm a, I'm a child of the king, but I live like the devil. It's improper. Verse 4, he goes farther. There must be no, fil uh, no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. Man, this is really practical, isn't it? 
kids, let me dress you. You probably know some of this, huh? Filthy talk. Talking improperly, improperly about the opposite sex. Making jokes. Guys, we... I don't know what you girls do. But I know what locker rooms are about. There's, there's all kinds of things that are improper. Silly talk, things that are contrary to the way we should talk. This doesn't mean that Christians aren't fun and have a great time. We, man, we are saved. We should be the most joyful people in the world. But he's talking about things that are in contrast to the people who are spiritual, that have this Holy Spirit living within them, and those who don't. Since these are not fitting, but we should rather be giving thanks. Thanksgiving should dominate. Verse 5, for this we know with certainty. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Here, here. You want something certain today? Here it is, verse 5. That no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If your sins are not forgiven through Christ alone, with adding nothing to it, you do not inherit heaven, you inherit hell. That's what the Bible saying. That's a great contrast, isn't it? Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Why? Because then, oh, come on, Scott. My uncle always said this. God's a God of grace. You talk about it all the time. He's going to let you all in. Ooh. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Brothers and sisters, that's about as empty as they get. That somehow, on your own merit, you're going to get in to heaven. They're empty. For because of this, the things of the, things of the wrath of God come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not be partakers with them. He's showing such a contrast. And, and again, don't forget Corinth. They're trying to have a foot in the world, and they're having, trying to have a foot into the church of Jesus Christ. They're trying to straddle that. You know, Jesus you know, talks about hot, cold, lukewarm, spit you out of your mouth. I mean, you know all this, right? Look what he goes on to say, verse 8. For you were formerly darkness. <laughs> I just I love this. You're just formerly dark. What's darkness? What's its relationship in the scripture to? Sin, thank you. You were formerly sin. <laughs> That's what we were, right? Before we were saved. But you are now of the light in the Lord. And so what's the response? Walk as children of the light. If you're still children of the darkness, walk as children of the dark. That's what you're going to do anyway. The dog's going to return to the vomit. It's going to happen. But if you're true children of the light, walk in the light. See, Paul wanted the Corinthians to wake up, embrace the gospel, let that gospel impact their mind in that long road to the heart, and then they would use their gifts in a way that was glorifying to God and unifying to the church. I remember we moved to Hollister when we took our last church there and didn't know anybody, so we went down to the Little League Fields and tried to get the boy signed up, and I remember a man walked out, and the first thing he said to me, well, 10% of the people do all 90% of the work. Well, it sounds like the church. Isn't that sad? 10% of the people do all 90% of the work. 
Look, if we're children of the light, act like children of the light. In verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. Look at verse 10. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Anybody trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord today? Or are we all trying out and go, well, God, you know, I was born this way. I have a chemical imbalance. Whatever, whatever, right? Are you trying to learn what pleases the Lord? Let me give you a big hint. <laughs> it's right here. They didn't have all this, right, in Ephesians? They didn't have this all done. The canon was not closed. The scriptures are still being written. We have the whole counts of God. Everything we need to know for this life. For salvation and godliness, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1. Look at it. He goes on. Verse 11, do not participate, look at this, participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Ooh. Should I get into TV shows? I, I mean, where does this participation go, right? How far along do we take this? I, I mean, we don't want to be legalistic, right? Scott, I, I, I just don't want to go down that road. I don't want a list of things. Well, you, quite, quite frankly, you may even need to build a list of things. Because as you examine your heart, you may come up with things and go, well, you know, if someone doesn't know that I'm a Christian, but I never told them I'm a Christian, would they see, if they watched me what I watched, watched how I talked, what I did, if they're with me in the secrets of my life, what would they think about me? Am I part of the deeds of darkness? And you say, Scott, why are you doing this? Well, look at verse 11 but instead expose them. One of the things the church does is we expose the deeds of, uh, of the darkness of Satan and his minions and, and what he wants people to do, not just the really blatant, ugly stuff, but the slippery stuff like prosperity gospel. We expose this. Verse 12, for it is a disgrace even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Now look at this, 13. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible, become, becomes visible is light. For this reason, I say, wake up! <laughs> I like that. Sorry, I scared some of you. You were dozing. <laughs> this is the problem with Corinth. When you get consumed with yourself, you get spiritually sleepy. They all want it to express their gift. And, and what side and group and faction they were in. And because of that, they'd become sleepy Christians. Carnal, sleepy Christians. And so Paul says, awake sleeper. I think this has been the problem in so many homes, particularly. Now, again, gals, I don't know what you all do, but I know guys. Guys can get spiritually sleepy. And let me tell you this, men. If you don't lead your wife and your children, somebody else will. That will happen. And you want to lead them to the glories of Christ. And so he says, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Come out of that grave you've been in, this spiritual slumber that you have been in. Verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, 
but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's a very happy Christ-centered person, right? Singing and making melody in your heart, always giving thanks for, oh, I have this one circled in my Bible, all things in the name of the Lord. What did you hear this week in that category under all things that was difficult? And have you been able to give thanks yet to it? Not all things can we run to thankfulness right away, but we should be moving there. He gives, he goes on, and I'll quit this section with this, but he says, be subject to one another. And what he does is he gives a list of what this looks like. I think this is here, true spirituality. Wives that reflect Jesus in their way they submit to their husbands because Jesus submitted to this father and they become this picture of the church. Husbands, they sacrificially die to self and they're like Christ. They picture Christ who would give up all things, give up his his own outward glory. He laid all that aside to, to lay down his life for the church and sanctify her and cleanse her and bring them to herself. He goes to children in chapter 6, verse 1, who are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obeying your parents is right. You say, well, I don't know, Dad, you know, dad or mom, if, if what my gift is. Let me tell you this, kids. Oh, start with obeying your parents. Oh, that brings great glory to God. He goes on, fathers, quit bringing your children to anger. Quit frustrating them, but disciple them is the idea here. Slaves, employees, some of you maybe don't have the best job in the world or maybe the blessed employer. Bible says, submit to them. Protect the gospel in the way you serve your employer. Masters in verse 9 they are to glorify God and how they treat their employees. And so this is the difference between true spirituality, right? This is godly business owners, godly employers, godly fathers, godly children, godly husbands, godly wives, godly mothers and fathers. This is the spirituality because Christ has given us the truth and he has, in, he has brought it to us, uh, regenerated us through the Holy Spirit. We're now new creatures. We're new, we're, we have new life, Right? And Paul has seen that the Corinthian church has been running on human effort versus a spirit-empowered effort. You see the battle for spirituality? I hope every Christian in here goes, Scott, I know what you're talking about. I wake up and I really go to battle with myself. Now, that's not wrong. Because guess who's waking, waiting for you when you wake up? Flesh, self. Come on, get up. We're hungry, we're thirsty, we're tired, we've got a lot to do today. We've got to think about ourselves all day long. That's what it does, right? So there's this battle for what true spirituality is. Learning to die to self. Learning to preach the gospel to ourselves. Learning to be men and women, boys and girls, who are Christ-centered. That's the work. Now, as you turn back to our text, you'll see that the real problem with the Corinth was spirituality. And so maybe the word gift wasn't needed in there, and that's why I think that's how I really interpret this, at least here. I know what it's looking forward to um, because it's, it's going to show this. as It's going to display it in gifts. But, but I think what he says now concerning true spirituality, that's maybe how I would translate that passage. I think I'm okay in the Greek there. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. 
See, true spirituality will manifest itself, right? You'll see in verse 4, we'll get to this next week, it'll manifest it. True spirituality will come out in gifts, but it'll have the same spirit. It'll come out in ministries, verse 5, but with the same Lord. It'll come out with the effects. You'll get this effect from being truly spiritual, but it'll always be the same God who works all things in, in all persons, right? And then verse 7, it'll manifest, it'll make real who the Spirit is for everyone, right? My gift will affect all of you, and your gift will affect all of us. That's what he's saying. We're going to get into that. But, it, but look, none of that happens if the person who has the gift from the Holy Spirit is not truly spiritual, pursuing the things of the Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 1, just notice that right there. You might see it just across the page. It says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spirituality. People say, oh, love is love. You know, everyone's after love. Paul says, yeah, love's great, but pursue spirituality. Because guess what you don't give if you don't pursue spirituality? You don't get real love. And that's why your marriage is struggling, because you did not invest in your spirituality, and, and now your spouse suffers because of that. Or your children. Or those around you. So we invest in spirituality. We invest in being image bearers. We invest in being like-minded. We invest in being imitators of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a blessing to everyone. That's what he's after. So the problem with the Corinth Christians, and I think to us as well here, is we just don't desire what the Spirit desires. What does the Spirit desire? He desires spirituality. Keep your finger there. Go back to Galatians 5. Go to your right. Two, two books. I told you I'm probably not going to get through one. But it's just too fun. I mean, this is just good stuff. Stuff we need to hear, right? Am I alone up here? Did this just hit me this week? Or are you getting any of this? Okay, good. Thank you. 15. Galatians 5.15. Now, again, my mind runs as I think across references. I'm thinking about the church of Corinth. And I'm also thinking about my own battles, right? I'm thinking about the battles of, of Christians and how we struggle with our spirituality at times because we get so caught up in the world and uh, this short-term life that we're here, the temporariness of this life. We get caught up in all that stuff and lots of problems come. Now look at verse 15. This is a clear marker of a lack of true spirituality. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now, if there's a verse to attach to the Corinth church, this would be the verse. Now, that's happening in Galatia, too. This was previous. This would have been previous to Corinth. But it seems to happen when churches get so caught up in self, what happens is they bite, devour, and they consume one another. Anybody been involved with a church split? Probably a lot of you. Or you know of one, or your kids went there and it split, whatever, right? It's disastrous. You watch people just devour each other. They're consumed with their own thinking. Nobody cares about what the Bible seems to want, and they go their separate ways. But here's a great conjunction, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You know, Scott, I don't want to hurt my wife. I don't want to hurt my husband. I, I want to be a, a, a spiritual person, according to the Scriptures. Desire the things of the Spirit. And guess what he desires? And guess what he does? The Spirit of God always spotlights Christ in His Word. So this isn't some mystical thing when you say, Oh, Spirit of God, will you help me 
conform me more to the image of the Son. That's not some charismatic, way-out thinking thing. That is very biblical. You're saying, oh, Spirit, help me know your Word. Help me know the Word of God. Help me see Christ. Help me be an imitator of Him. That's, that's what the Spirit does. You and I should pray that. So he says, walk by the Spirit. You're not going to carry out these things. It's just a great answer. Scott, why is my marriage such a problem? You're not walking by the Spirit. Why do I have such a problem at my jobs? Because you're not walking by the Spirit. I mean, you could probably bring everything back to this at some level, can't you? And he tells us what the flesh looks like, right? You, wanna, you don't want to carry out the flesh? Well, here's what it looks like. Verse 17, for the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit. Oh, that's very contrary, isn't it? Spirit's going this way, flesh's going that way. Spirit wants God exalted, flesh wants nothing to do with that. He wants to exalt you. They're just contrary, aren't they? The spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Look at this, so that. I love these henna clauses. So that you may not do the things you please. I, most Christians, when you sit down with them, you go, do you want to walk with God? I do, pastor. I want to walk with God. Why is your marriage a wreck? Well, <laughs> well she did it. Or he did it. Or we had a bad start, or whatever it is. See, we've got to get down to realize that the things of our flesh are in opposition to the Spirit, and when we keep pursuing the things of our flesh, we never come to what the Spirit wants us. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Good news, right? Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. Here he goes again. Immorality, impurity, sexuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, uh, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, decisions, uh, dissensions, factions, right? Here, hold on, this is, we're back to Corinth. Envy, envy and drunkenness, carousing. And I, read, I got this underlined in my Bible. And things like these. <laughs> he just got tired of the list, didn't he? And he said, look at this, and I love this. Of which I forewarned you. See, a good gospel teacher if you're going to share the gospel with somebody, and this is what people do, well, you just need Jesus, everything will be great. No, as soon as you get Jesus, it's going to get really hard. <laughs> because up to now, there's been no resistance to your flesh. Your flesh just says, hey, we're going this way. Okay, we're going that way. Now you've got Jesus in your life, and you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the triune God has now taken residence up in you, and now there's this great conflict, right? And you're still desiring and jealous, and you have some things that are not of God. And so Paul says, look, I forewarned you. And he says, look, ultimately, I warned you that if you keep practicing these things, it shows that you don't inherit the kingdom of God. You're not in that. I said, I think last week or recently, I said a woman came to my office and said, my son acts like a complete pagan, but he, wrote, he, he said the prayer. I wrote it down in his Bible. I did all that. I think he's saved. And I said, well, whew. I don't think writing a name in a Bible it saves anybody. But if he's saved, God will discipline him. And if he's saved, there will be fruit of the Spirit. He goes on to say what the fruit of the Spirit is. Now think about this. This is what's not happening in Corinth. There is no love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, I want my prophecy to go before your prophecy. I've been right six out of ten times, and you've only been right five out of ten times. I get to go first. The Bible's right 100% of the time. I ask people all that time, and they make me the word of faith. Well, how accurate are you? Well, you know, I've got a track record of around 75%. Well, I'm going to stick with 100%, okay? See, they're not loving, right? 
There's a lack of love for one another. They wouldn't even, remember last week, they won't even wait to have a meal. This is lacking in spirituality. They have no joy. There's no joy in the unity of Christ. They don't have any peace. They don't have any, they're not patient with one another. They're not kind. They're not, there's no goodness and faithfulness happening in here. Certainly, self-control is a massive issue, as we'll see. But then he says, verse 24, I love this. Now, to those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. That's a mark. Have your passions and your desires been crucified. This doesn't mean that you're perfect. That doesn't mean that you, you had some kind of experience and, and you know, went to perfect Christ-likeness and stayed on that plane forever. That's a wrong theology. It means that you are continually progressing as God transforms you into the image of Christ. And, it's not, and you know that because you, you no longer are passionate and desirous for the things of the world like you are passionate and desire for the things of Christ and his word. There's a stark difference there. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one or envying one another, and that was the problem in Corinth. So brothers and sisters, as you make your way back to 1 Corinthians 12, we must find that our true spirituality comes from the source, and that source is the Holy Spirit. And he does not magnify us. The Holy Spirit isn't there to magnify us. He's there to magnify, spotlight Christ in his word. And Jesus promised that's what he would do. In John chapter 14, verse 26, but the helper is going to come, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things, bringing to remembrance all that I said. That's what the Spirit does. He brings back the remembrance of what Jesus has done. That's why I call it... Um, a spirit-inspired communion or the table is spirit-inspired because when we take it, it reminds us the spirit brings back the truth of what those elements are. But then Jesus said a little later in John 16, verse 13 and 14, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, listen to this, he will guide you into all truth. Now listen to this, and this is what this man had wrong. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And the reason that we know that we are inspired by God is that things that come out of our mouth, the things that we do, exalt our Lord and come from his word. That wasn't happening in Corinth. But look, our ministry should find its source in the work of the Spirit, in the word. If it doesn't, it's counterfeit. And one of the reasons that we preach expositionally in this church, meaning we preach verse by verse through books, this is what we do here because we don't want to skip anything. So because there's all kinds of counterfeit stuff going out there, and when it comes through your hand or comes through your ear and you hear something, because you've been in the Word, not only here but in your own homes, in your own personal life, and you're growing in the image of Christ, you recognize something that's not of God. And you go... I mean, without that guy's words were falling out of the mouth, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this is not a God. Because I knew he was speaking up and above the word of God. Now, notice he says, I do not want you to be unaware. Maybe your Bible might say ignorant there. This is a, another reoccurring theme Paul has throughout his epistles. It's just a mark of a true loving shepherd. He he seeks to spiritually educate those he watches over. So Scott, why are you speaking against the charismatic movement and all these? Aren't they brothers? Well, in some cases, they may be. 
but a loving shepherd warns. Some of you have had some long conversations just recently, several families in here, who have family members caught up in some of the most, I think, darkest things within the charismatic movement right now. And your heart is broken, and I heard that. And I pray for you, and I pray for your family members that they would turn from that. If they're saved, that they would see that darkness and move away from it and come to the light of the Jesus Christ. But these are hard things. And, but a loving shepherd says, hey, we're not going to skip passages to fill the building on the good stuff, the easy stuff. No, we're going to go through even the more difficult passages because we need to know as sheep, we need to know what a wolf is. We need to know where the cliffs are. We need to know where the stumbling blocks are. And I think this is what he does. And I think knowing and understanding what God says about this life on this earth and pursuing obedience is the kindness of God, and I would call it discipleship. One other passage just comes to mind. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Again, we're just going to get this one point. Get rid of it, Hayward. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. So how does God do that? Well, look at verse, chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Look at that main verb. He, God, gave. He gifted into your life leadership which directs you back to Jesus, directs you back to the Word of God. That helps you understand that they have the Spirit of God within them. They're not doing their own show. They're not after their own things. They're directing you back to the source, the Word of God and the glory of Christ. And He gave you this. The most influential men in my life were pastors and teachers. I, I would not be here, not barring the grace of God, if God had not put those men in my life. They're a gift to you. And notice what they do. Look what they do here. This is why Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. They're for equipping of the saints for the work of the service. You've got to get ready, right? If I took you to the ranch and said, hey, I want you to go out and castrate that calf. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> I mean, you've you got to go with me, right? You've got to see all that works. You've got to be ready. This is what he's doing. There's an there's a equipping of the saints, getting ready for the work of the service. There's an equipping, a building up for the body of Christ. This is what good shepherds do. They don't want you to be unaware. They want to equip you and they want to build you up. Look at verse 13. Why? Until we all, all of us, not one person, not one person is left out in the unity of the faith. That's the goal of shepherds. We don't go, well, you know, we got most of the sheep in today. We lost a 10%. I think I'm good with that. <laughs> we are not good with you leaving the church and going somewhere else that's not biblical. I will not sleep when that happens for days at times. The fear of what you may be caught up in. See, see I'm given the charge, on, and my fellow elders were given this charge to, to bring you to the unity of faith. To, and, and of course, the, the Spirit's work and all God, God, glory goes to God, but we want you to have the knowledge of the Son. We want you to be, look at this, a mature person. Not immature. Immaturity gets into all kinds of trouble, right? We get traffic tickets when we're immature. 
We do the stupidest things. We say dumb things. That's not what God wants. And this is, what, this is why Paul doesn't want them to be unaware. He wants them to be unified and knowledgeable and mature to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And we're right back to that confirmation that God's trying to do. He's, his goal is to bring us up into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And yeah, our path may like this a little bit, but it's moving. It's working towards God's changing and directing us, conforming us to the image of the Son. And so I think this is a loving thing. He, I think it's loving to remove ignorance. It's part of the discipleship process. It's bringing you into maturity in Christ. True knowledge opens a pathway from the mind to the heart. True knowledge from God's word gives you understanding where your heart needs to be changed, right? I hope someone in this room is convicted about something where they said, There's, this is not right. I know what I'm doing. I'm not the spiritual leader I should be. I'm not the wife I should be or the husband I should be or the child I should be or the employer or employee. I'm not that person. I, I want to be God. Will you, will you transform me? Don't leave me in my ignorance. So dear brethren, is there an area of your life that you want to surrender now? Do that. Turn to the Lord. We just sang that song. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. That's where the Spirit's at. That's where you're going you're to understand the Word of God and you're going to see the glory of Christ. And so we see Paul start out this great text with wanting the Corinthian church to be spiritual. Are you spiritual? Do you love the things of the Lord? Or are you ignorant of His truths? Lord, we got a good start on this this morning. We want to understand why Corinth got where they are at so we don't end up there. It's very important, Lord, that we do learn from the past so we don't repeat it. Here, a church that is devoted to books of the Bible, out of 66 books, two are devoted to this church, and one is written in rebuke. And so, Lord, we want to realize where we individually and corporately are. We are not spiritual. We're not gripped by the glory and person of Christ through the word of God. Where is their weaknesses? Where is their holes in our lives, Lord? We don't want to be ignorant. Because, Lord, ultimately, you have gifted each and every one of us that make up the body of Christ at Riverbend, and we want to use those gifts to glorify you and bring unity to this church. That's our goal. And so, Lord, help us examine our hearts, Lord, where we are weak, where we are not spiritual, where we are not honoring you, Lord. I pray you would bring us to individual conviction, bring us to corporate conviction on that, Lord, if need be. And Lord, may you be glorified. Lord, listen to our last song as we worship you, Lord. Hear us sing from our hearts, Lord. Transform us, Lord, more into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.